0: Welcome to Cyber Career Chat, the podcast supporting innovation in the fast-paced world of cybersecurity. Join us as we explore the exciting career paths and opportunities available and keep up with industry developments in Australia and around the world. Cyber Career Chat is brought to you by the Workforce Development Team at the New South Wales Cybersecurity Innovation Node and proudly produced and supported by the Experts On Air podcast network.
1: Welcome to today's podcast and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to have a chat with Stephen and myself. I also would like to introduce that we have our New South Wales Cybersecurity Innovation Node Ambassador who will be co-hosting today's segment with Professor Greg Austin. So Stephen Che, welcome and thank you also for your time.
2: Thanks Sarah and it's really really a pleasure to have the opportunity to in to, to, to introduce this audience to Professor Austin, who uh, is my former professor from University of New South Wales at Canberra, uh, and is now uh, occupying a prestigious position in the community, the cybersecurity community in Singapore. And uh, he's just published a book titled Cybersecurity Education Principles and Policies by Routledge that has a series of essays on um, Uh, the opportunities and issues in cybersecurity education. And so that's what we'd like to focus on in this podcast.
3: Yes, and thank you, Stephen, and thank you, Sarah, for the opportunity.
2: Absolutely.
1: Let's get stuck into it. So what are the current strengths and weaknesses of the Australian cybersecurity education system?
3: Thank you, Sarah. Well, let's start with the strengths. So, Great. Australia is a G20 country. Uh, we're probably in the top ten of cyber powers globally. Uh, that might surprise quite a few people. So, we're basically in the you know, the, the top gang of uh, cyber nations. Uh, the we have a pretty good skills base. So, our science and technology foundations are are pretty good uh, in pure science and applied science and the like. Uh, We are competitive internationally in those sorts of things. Uh, um, So in terms of strengths, uh, uh, another strength is that we have a commitment to build up um, our skills base and knowledge levels in cybersecurity. Uh, So that's a very big plus. So political will is very important. Uh, And we have a lot of people mobilized behind the task at different levels of the education supply chain. Um, I'm afraid to say that the shortcomings of Australian cyber security education policy rather than system um, is probably that there is no system uh, and that uh, uh, governments uh, at the federal level, the state level uh, and employer groups um, and activists like yourself have faced the choice between trying to make progress uh, on the things that they can control Um, through discrete, what you might call, building block initiatives, whereas the people who are able and responsible for funding big system type initiatives are not pulling their weight. So a lot of the uh, smaller uh, initiatives that are focused on this or that segment of the education system, for example, secondary school, undergraduate uh, education, uh, on-the-job training and the like, they, they really miss um, having an overarching, unifying concept, set of goals and, um, in a sense, uh, home institutions. So, for example, I'll just build on that last point. I guess the best way to um, illustrate this is by uh, mentioning that the shortcomings could be easily overcome if the Australian government uh, and state governments agreed uh, tomorrow Uh, to build a cybersecurity academy, which would become the home base in Australia for the knowledge community around cybersecurity. It could be uh, supported by uh, the business sector, by the professional uh, bodies involved. Uh, And I think that that sort of uh, focal point of an institution, of the sort that exists in in the United States, um, so the SANS Institute Mm-hmm. Uh, the Carnegie Mellon University, and the like, uh, but without some sort of focal point for the education efforts and some and even for advocacy in a sense for an overarching strategic approach to education, I think many of the shortcomings can 't be addressed. I could go through you know a list of about ten shortcomings uh, which we 've all heard before you know are there enough mm-hmm. people doing STEM education courses uh, what 's the quality of uh, entry-level recruit, what should be the work arrangements for um, entry-level recruits. Uh, There's a whole range of things um, uh, going on. Another one, for example, is uh, what is the current take-up rate by undergraduates of studies in information technology, uh, let alone cyberspace. Uh, uh, In 2014, when I last looked at the numbers, uh, because the accounting system changed with the Department of uh, Education, but when those numbers were last available uh, in 2014, information technology was the least popular field of study amongst 10 at Australian universities, and it had the highest dropout rate. Um, so in spite of our national, sort of in a sense, standing in science and technology, we've never really had a very good standing internationally in uh, cybersecurity. Uh, we've got world-class researchers in the field, but... Uh, there are uh, these these world-class researchers work in narrow niche areas. And I think, you know, as a final sort of wrap-up of this um, couple of comments on strengths and weaknesses, uh, uh, there's a growing appreciation uh, internationally that cybersecurity is a multidisciplinary activity that's acknowledged in Australia, uh, but by and large, uh, almost no... Uh, organization with any authority or standing in the community has acted on that. Um, there are a few exceptions. but by and large cybersecurity is still, in terms of skill shortage uh, and education, is largely understood as um, a technical bit uh, mm. of issues or a set of uh, technical subjects. And the social science aspects, including business management, have not really penetrated um, as sharply as they might have. Mm. So let me stop there in terms of strengths and weaknesses and perhaps there's some things we could explore more deeply or perhaps you could challenge some of my <laughs> uh, firmer ideas.
1: Yeah, I agree that it is a multidisciplinary subject area and I think it would be fantastic to be able to deep dive a little bit further into each of the subjects that are offered. Um... Stephen, do you have any questions?
2: Well, Sarah, I, I, I'm interested. Could you perhaps share with Greg some mm. of the some of the feedback and the questions that we get when we talk to school students about cybersecurity? I think that would be interesting to share with Greg and get his thoughts on the kind of perspectives that uh, high school students have about cybersecurity as a career.
1: Yeah, well, I guess the feedback that we do get a lot of the times where we do have our ambassadors participate in school education systems is that schools are very busy. The timetables are full. The curriculum is full. And cyber, if you don't understand it, you're probably going to see that email pop up and see this fantastic program come through. But if if you're not... I guess, engaged to really understand it, you'll just perhaps not look at it and go into too much depth. But if you were to understand as a teacher what cybersecurity is and how it fits into your teaching criteria, then you might, you know, take a second look at that email because even when we go to schools, the biggest feedback, especially from the teachers, is, wow, we didn't know that. We didn't know that this information fits in. Same with the students. The students say, oh, we didn't realise that you don't have to be really good at coding. They didn't realise that there's policy, there's law, and there are a whole range of other things. My understanding is there is a lot of cyber security safety lessons, but not so much
3: the learning side of it. Okay, well, they're all very interesting observations. Uh, you know, often when people look at a problem of shortage of the relevant skills in a particular sector, they think first of well, how do we fix it for the sector? But mm. I'm afraid the bigger problem here is the Australian system of education. Period. So uh, when the New South Wales government announced, I think already almost two years ago, a review of the secondary school curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, it was the first would be the first full review of the secondary school curriculum in the major state of Australia since 1989. Mm. Imagine that. So the information era didn't start in Australia until after 1989 yeah. by and large. Uh, and then we've seen this explosion of things that occurred with social media, uh, all sorts of uh, important evolutions of both opportunity and threat, uh, and none of the Australian states have responded in any meaningful form to the information revolution in their secondary school curricula. Uh, I mean, this is particularly visible. Um, Most teachers believe that um, the evidence of uh, recognition of the information age um, in teaching is having a computer in your room. Mm. But the, the proof of whether or not that's the case uh, really depends on uh, or the evidence uh, that the information age has really arrived in the classroom is that the teachers can achieve economy of effort by pooling resources and activities. Mm. Uh, and another indicator would be that they can achieve ama- amazing stimulation uh, activities by hooking up the classroom on a daily basis to classrooms elsewhere in the world. Yeah. But in fact, in most Australian schools, uh, computers are just quick libraries uh, and they're, uh, you know, therefore email. Uh, they don't really bring out the best. So we've, we've got a situation where not just in secondary education but in the country as a whole, we really haven't moved to uh, embrace uh, the information society as much as we might have. That may sound a bit odd. Uh, the Bureau of Statistics did uh, some uh, statistical, uh, some population surveys some years back, and they found that, uh, in contrast to some other countries, Australians had a higher preference for using uh, the internet for entertainment um, than in more business-oriented societies, perhaps like Singapore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so it's, it's, in a sense, not... Uh, the narrow curriculum sort of standing of, you know, should there be a better cybersecurity curriculum? Mm-hmm. Um, there really should be a better education system. Mm-hmm. And the education system is simply not fit for purpose in the 21st century in all sorts of ways. And state governments and federal governments refuse to act appropriately.
1: And I guess the other bit of feedback that we get too is from the students, they feel that, well, I don't want to do IT, therefore I don't want to do cyber security. Yeah. It, it's it's a misconception that the IT guy at school or the IT guy in a business is also the cyber security guy or girl. Uh, very big misconception.
3: Yeah, it's a good point. The, uh, of course, that is the case in many firms and agencies right now that the technical people are in charge of cyber security. Uh, overseas, that's changing uh, a little bit more quickly. Um, I can uh, recount the example of the Australian Defence Force Academy at the University of New South Wales, Canberra, where we had some uh, students who came in without any background in IT. And they did a one-year honours uh, study in our cybersecurity centre there, uh, and one of them uh, walked out of that uh, one-year honours program into a $90,000 a year job.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs>
3: No form of background in, in, in information technology. Uh, and that's because there are many things about cyberspace security that, that really don't involve detailed technical knowledge and which can get you really well placed in the cybersecurity profession. And, and this sort of stuff really still isn't proceeding with the dynamism that we need um, in, uh, you know, in the whole of society.
1: Mm. And you've spoken about Singapore and other countries. So I'll ask you another question. What could, what could we um, use and lead from international experience in this?
3: Well, the international experience is diverse and rich. And okay. it's not as if there's too many countries in the world who achieve the sort of uh, what you might call comprehensive solution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all countries in the world face a workforce skills deficit of one sort or another, yeah. uh, even the United States. And uh, in uh, between 2017 and 2018, President Trump came to realise that if the United States lagged any further behind in its cybersecurity workforce, um, it would actually start to suffer in its strategic policy. And so he said correctly, and with the support of all major sp- specialists and stakeholders in the United States, that the United States was fighting a cyber skills arms race with China, and that if the United States lost that cyber skills arms race with China, then that would be very deleterious to US uh, security in the broad. So there are many interesting things we can learn from overseas. Uh, The most important lesson, I think, is, uh, is this question of institutional focus and government investment. So if we take Australian federal government in tertiary sector education, uh, it's been almost non-existent uh, for cybersecurity. Uh, so we can see, uh, for example, that the federal government invested uh, between $30 million and $50 million in the cooperative research centre uh, for cybersecurity, uh, but that's for research, it's for academic research, not for educational programs at universities, and the funding available um, in that cooperative research centre has not led to any significant increase uh, in undergraduate throughput in universities. Uh, But more importantly, the universities have been very slow uh, to respond to opportunities. So, for example, the University of New South Wales Canberra set up its multidisciplinary cybersecurity centre in uh, 2014 or 2015. Uh, it was the first in the country. Um, in 2019, uh, the Australian National University set up its uh, first multidisciplinary cybersecurity centre, and within a year, it was abolished, and the person in the director's position uh, was no longer working at the university. So, our premier uh, university in the top ten globally has not been able to come to terms with how to create a multidisciplinary cybersecurity centre that works uh, and that's viable from a funding point of view. So if that's the case with the Australian National University um, and we sort of see a similar p- picture around the country, um, you know, we, we've got pockets of excellence beyond any shadow of doubt. Mm-hmm. But we lack the overarching commitment. We lack the sustained investment. The figures for the first cybersecurity strategy from the liberal national party uh, in 2016 for investment in tertiary education was of the order of uh, a handful of millions of dollars over four years um uh, you know it's like a drop in the ocean Mm. investment from this government under the new cyber security strategy in educational initiatives some of the sorts of things that you're doing is 26 million uh over uh, i think four years which is a really good increase but uh, it's not strategically uh, not going to be strategically delivered. It's going to depend on the uh, ad hoc applications of different organisations to make contributions to the mosaic, but there's no-one willing to invest in a National School of Cybersecurity Education, a National Academy of Cybersecurity Education, and few universities in Australia have shown a willingness uh, to actually adopt viable, sustainable, sustainable, ex- expansion policies um, for this field of study. Uh, There are some, the University of New South Wales um, has done quite well, um, but there's been really no strong expansion of even that centre at the University of New South Wales, Canberra um, in the five years or so that it's been in existence. So Mm -hmm. the the system is not responding well. Uh, We've got all sorts of creative Mm initiatives, which are inspiring. In TAFE, in secondary schools, universities, um, inside professional uh, organisations, um, and you know, and some business initiatives, the government system of you know information centres in the different state capitals has produced some impetus. Ost Cyber has produced some impetus, but in the last uh, cybersecurity sector competitiveness update, Ost uh, Cyber concluded that. Um, it itself had misunderestimated the severity of the school shortage and the types of strategies that are needed to fix it. So there's a lot we can learn, um, but the government employers um, and, and key agencies, like, for example, the Defence Force, need to significantly invest... Um, that's a lesson from overseas. They need to significantly invest in new educational platforms and processes with much higher, more convincing incentives for people to join the the professional domain.
1: So what I'm getting out of that as well is, correct me if I'm wrong, we really need to have a much stronger collaborative community to get this up and running across government, schools, different educations, universities, TAFEs, business, industry. Is that right? Am I right?
3: I think that's right. The... You mentioned before, in a sense, the the levels of awareness of secondary school teachers and therefore of their students. The visibility of cybersecurity or security in cyberspace as a work stream is just not high enough. um, uh, And we need that sort of cohesion. One thing that strikes me a little bit about some of the wonderful initiatives that we've got, including what you're working on with secondary schools, is that people have to work far too hard to get them up. Yes. Uh, You know, the environment should be pre-prepared. The money should be readily available. Um, uh, You know, and there should be broad agreement um, on how we're going to go forward. And even if we don't have that, um, there are other ways of achieving it through the promotion or the development of what you might call signature national policies. So if we were to set up a cyber national guard or have a cyber volunteer force, or we had something which sort of called out to the whole country and said, uh, we need to protect ourselves in cyberspace more. Uh, here's one thing that the federal government is going to do, working with states, potentially, uh, and, um, and that might help you know be a catalyst. But we're really missing those catalysts. Malcolm Turnbull's cybersecurity strategy in 2016 had some of those catalysts in place. Uh, it set up interesting initiatives like Ost Cyber, like uh, the Minister's Post for Cybersecurity, uh, the Special uh, Minister for cyber security, the, the Advisor to s- the Prime Minister on Cybersecurity, but almost every single one of those initiatives has dissipated in some respect, and nor did any of those initiatives succeed. The education uh, potential that the country offers. I mean, I often say to government ministers when they've ever talked to me, um, is that, uh, if Australia were tomorrow to open an international academy for cybersecurity, we would corner the Southeast Asia market, at least, if not the broader market, um, you know, from India, uh, and China, notwithstanding the fact that India itself already has massive, uh, cybersecurity educational capabilities, um, and country like Malaysia also has rather interesting uh, capabilities in this area. And Stephen knows the Malaysia case quite well. Um, but we're really just not acting on the opportunity as if it's a strategic question. Uh, you know, we're, we're putting money at different problems. Uh, the Prime Minister allocated large amounts of money uh, in the last year to cybersecurity in terms of investing in something like four or 500 new positions in the Australian Signals Directorate over... Ten years, Uh, the Defence Force put in lots of new money. Um, But I think we do need sort of some higher level of national enthusiasm and some more, what's the word, focused and institutionalised centre for promoting security in cyberspace, uh, as well as the study of security in cyberspace. and, uh, And we'll get there.
2: Greg, do you think that it's up to each country on their own to develop their own educational framework and and capacity to address the skills gap? Or or to what extent do you think there might be opportunities for international cooperation in building skills frameworks and curriculum material and capacity for training?
3: Well, that's a very good question, Stephen. Uh, I think... Sorts of things I've been saying suggest that it's going to be tough for Australia any time soon to do as much as we would all like it to be able to do. And so an answer, one answer is to go to international support. International support can come from other countries. It can come from private sector corporations. And um, in respect of the South Pacific countries, for example, I've suggested that, I mean, the micro states of the South Pacific, I've suggested that they'll never have the institutional foundations for cybersecurity education. Why don't friendly international corporations, for example, the Westpac or the Commonwealth Bank, which have important um, ICT interests in the microstates of the South Pacific, um, you know, they could really help out in this area. But I do think that smaller countries and Australia included, but even the bigger countries like the UK and the United States uh, are finding important synergies in international education collaborations. Uh, it's certainly happening a lot happening a lot in the military sphere. Uh, and one of the main avenues for boosting Australian Defence Force capability in cyberspace has been to leverage the international relationships that we have. So it's a really good point. And, and this is an area where I think the question demonstrates the need for detailed study of these sorts of options How can Australia, in a sense, gain efficiencies in cybersecurity training from what's already available overseas? So for example, the SANS Institute in the United States already offers uh, important courses. A number of Australian universities offer uh, qualifications uh, that are uh, issued through ISC squared. Uh, And those sorts of initiatives are there and they're having a a powerful effect. We don't map them that well. so it's a bit hard to know uh, what's the situation in Australia in terms of where people have got their education from and what it says in terms of the global picture and the national picture. Uh, but uh, there's a really good opportunity to leverage internationally. And the um, you mentioned my book um, a bit earlier. The, uh, the first couple of recommendations I make... Um, uh, concern, really, the, uh, the degree of uh, judgment that the country makes about just what sort of information society we want to be and what sort of security we want in cyberspace. And Australia, has, as a body politic, has not made that decision. Uh, you know, there's a couple of government strategies out, but um, there's not widespread buy-in. Um, and one of the other chapters in that book by uh, an Oxford-based scholar, Tommaso Dizan, Uh, talks about detailed study of the skills shortage, its incidence, contours and causes. And if you don't have that, um, uh, you really can't do much in policy. And in spite of all of their good efforts, Cyber's analysis um, has, by its own estimate, proven to be inadequate. And there's nobody else in the country really doing it.
2: Yeah, and and so I actually would like to ask you um, about one of the dilemmas which you pointed out in in the concluding chapter of your book, which is about immigration and offshore workforces. And in particular, you know, I note from the public debate in Australia that there's a lot of talk about building Indigenous capacity in the cybersecurity industry. I think it's primarily talking about research and development and promotion of Australia's uh, industrial capacity in cybersecurity, but uh, I think it also applies to issues of education and workforce development. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on how sustainable it might be for Australia to aim to uh, develop an Indigenous, self-sufficient cybersecurity workforce that uh, is somehow uh, perhaps isolated from uh, international supply chains.
3: Well, I think it's imperative that the country attempts to build its sovereign capability for certain types of highly sensitive operations in the armed forces and the national security agencies. And So the numbers involved in that are not that great, um, but we're still not, in a sense, really well positioned to achieve the sorts of numbers that we need in the timeframes that we're looking for, which is a decade. Uh, the question of immigration is, is very important. Uh, but... Recalling that the, uh, the question of these cyber skills shortages have been with us for a long time, um, I was rather disappointed to note that um, on the latest statistics available uh, at the end of 2019 that uh, more cooks and chefs received temporary work visas in Australia than people with information technology degrees. Um, so the Australian government has not shown the political will to adjust to um, the demands of the situation. To its credit, the Department of Immigration now offers a special uh, category of visa uh, in, I think, five fields of endeavor. One is cyber security, uh, and under that category of visa, people can actually nominate themselves, or they can be nominated by colleagues and they're rather quick fuse type visas, uh, so the Australian government has moved. They know, in a sense, where we will <laughs> where we will get some of these resources from. Uh, but uh, that's 20,000. Uh, sorry, that's 2019. Still, in, still having more cooks and chefs get visas um, for Australia than information technology specialists, uh, and opening up a couple of thousand places. I think it was. Uh, for these five categories of of highly preferred specialist qualification of which one was uh, cyber security or cyberspace or it so um, uh, there's just a lack of imagination i'm sorry to say Uh, and part of that problem is that when you look around the country in the political parties the political leadership of uh, at the national level regardless of the political party uh, and around the states you have very few champions of uh, information technology of cyber security uh, and until that changes uh, it's going to be very very tough the immigration route is going to have to be a very important one uh, all credit to the government for finally setting up this fast track process and focusing on cybersecurity. Um, i've personally been involved in uh, recommending two people for that program um, uh, so it, it's, it's highly effective but we really just have to um, ramp it up. If you look at the fate of the immigration program in Australia in the last year, under the impact of the COVID uh, challenge, uh, and the impact on the education sector under the result of the COVID challenge, um, one can only conclude that the country is going backwards in cybersecurity education, um, as it's going backwards in education in general because of the COVID crisis. Uh, so. Not only do we need to do all of the things that we wanted to do before COVID with more investment, more leadership and more imagination, but they're now um, doubly uh, difficult uh, and perhaps doubly more urgent.
1: So what would you say, a perspective on the opportunities perhaps for public-private partnerships in the cyber education?
3: Well, it's a very good point. Um, And, of course, it covers a multitude of... um, varieties of potential collaboration. uh, I really think that um, a deep, uh, an international corporation with deep pockets, Mm -hmm. a a company um, in the Fortune 500, uh, we might mention IBM, for example, but there are others um, uh, like AT&T or the like that, uh, which can uh, and have attempted uh, with some success to contribute to the national training efforts um, in different countries of the world. And there's a pretty big push going on at the moment by Cisco, for example, to set up uh, research chairs in different academic institutions. Uh, so, for example, I think there's an agreement being announced between the University of New South Wales, Kensington, and Cisco and the New South Wales government to set up a chair in transport, uh, cybersecurity of transportation, or similar. Uh, I might have the name of that chair wrong. But so these things are happening, Um and all credit to the international corporations who, for their own reasons, are doing it. Uh, But I think there's huge untapped potential uh, and uh, we could really ramp up um, Australia's engagement with uh, global corporations.
1: uh, I hear we have a lot of talent here in
3: Australia. Well, we certainly have a lot of talent here in Australia. Um, One of the biggest deficiencies uh, in the skills base is not really entry level probably Stephen's point about supply and demand um, is one that can be addressed in all sorts of workplace creativity and flexibility Uh, where our biggest deficiency is um, is in people who are highly skilled for complex cyber operations in defence against state level actors um, and than for offensive operations in complex diplomatic uh, situations, international crises or wartime. And so we're only just now in the process of setting up uh, processes, in the, in, the, in the process of setting up frameworks and um, institutions within the Australian Defence Force um, to help redress these shortcomings. Um, and uh, in this regard, Global corporations do have a part to play. Um, So for many years, BAE Systems, for example, uh, which was an important provider to the Australian government of signals, intelligence, capability of one sort or another, used to actively engage in uh, training and development of Australian personnel. So we've already benefited from all sorts of international collaborations. So the global corporations... um, like IBM for example and Cisco which operated in Australia have already made a huge contribution to the development of our skills a national skills base and talent um, you know across all levels of capability probably Uh, but we do need um, as the threat expands as rapidly as it is um, and as the technology also in a sense expands its footprint to things like 5G driverless trains drones um, Internet of Things, uh, you know, there's an exploding demand. And so the demand, even though Stephen's point is quite right about workplaces can adjust um, uh, to the workforce availability uh, to a large degree if they're clever, uh, but the the demand is really exploding. Uh, and I think that makes it even harder for government departments um, and interested corporations to set some midterm, what's the word, objectives. Uh, We're not going to solve the workforce and skills shortage dilemmas um, in the next 10 years. Uh, We need some pretty radical uh, targeted strategies that are well-funded be in place for 10 to 20 years before we'll see a significant difference.
1: Yes, good points. Very good point. So, how, so obviously, the, the skills gap in Australia is quite serious. Do you think...?
3: Go on, sorry. sorry go. Well, the, the numbers can be misleading. Um, you know, I guess it's Stephen's point about uh, labour market uh, suggests and the flexibility of the hiring firms. Uh, but, but I think our numbers are probably worse than we imagined. AustCyber, uh, in its 2019 report, said that they uh, underestimated um, the the shortage and the difficulty of addressing the shortage, Mm -hmm. Um, it is getting worse. um, And it's getting worse for the very serious challenges we face. Uh, And there's no better example of that, arguably, than 5G. Uh, So the country could not have a sensible conversation about 5G security because there are not enough people in the country who know anything about 5G security except those who are working in... Um, in um, foreign corporations, including Huawei, or in the Australian Signals Directorate. Um, You know, so there are, of course, some university researchers who know something about it, but uh, the scaremongering uh, and, in a sense, um, Luddite uh, reactions in Australia to Chinese 5G technology is a very good example of just how, what a negative impact low levels of skill at the advanced level uh, can have on a country's foreign relations and its um, economic development.
1: Yeah. So, Greg, Dilemma 9 in your book, Online Education and Training, International and Domestic, what is meant by that?
3: Well, thanks, Sarah. The uh, key point about this is uh, that... If a country like Australia has educational shortcomings uh, uh, and workforce deficiencies and it's got people who are willing to learn, uh, there is uh, there are ample opportunities to educate those people online uh, through courses that are available uh, around the world yeah. uh, to um, fix the school shortage that we have.
1: So I guess uh, this is, sorry, go.
3: Yeah, and and, and so really what goes with this observation about we've got more assets than we imagine if we look beyond our borders, uh, really just involves the process of linking um, up potential volunteers um, in Australia um, with um, the opportunities overseas uh, and perhaps providing some funding. So, for example, um, I was, um, we'll put it this way in a positive sense, uh, as we rebuild the economy out of a COVID disaster, uh, one really good opportunity is to invest in cybersecurity education, give people vouchers for uh, $2,000, up to $10,000 for -hmm. online cybersecurity courses from recognised educational outlets. That'd be a huge boost. I mean, there'd be no, Mm -hmm. you'd be flooded with applications um, and interest. Uh, So that's the sort of thing that they go together in a sense, really, we can address our shortcomings by going more internationally and by using online material. Uh, so there's some, there's some very good online material ab- available from Australian providers.
1: There
3: are. I have, have done think? a couple myself. Yeah, so there you go. And so, the, But the geography doesn't always, um, and the demographics of the country don't always uh, swing into gear behind that. So, for example, um you know one target group in australia which i've often thought about are indigenous communities yeah. and the um you know, the, the lack of interest really in key stakeholder groups um in making australia's remote indigenous communities better connected to the outside world especially for health support yeah. through the internet um i think um, is a bit of a tragedy but there's all sorts of um, underdeveloped talent Um, around the country in the remote and rural areas Um, and in, um, dare I say you know, women who are uh, working from the home in unpaid roles. Uh, Mm -hmm. So there's huge potential. If only we could, in a sense, unleash that um, online education and training opportunity, both international and domestic.
1: Yeah, and it's such a great opportunity, like you say, for those that are in regional or very remote areas. Instead of driving up to 10 hours to get to a university, Doing it online would be just fantastic. And it is available, so it's
3: yep.
1: a step in the right direction. Over to you, Stephen.
2: Well, I, I would like to ask uh, reflecting on, on the the discussion we had earlier about the, the fact that cybersecurity is not just a, a niche technical profession uh, and that um, the, the sort of expertise that we need to have stretches across other disciplines as well. When you, when you spoke in your book about the other dilemma about uh, critical thinking and personal resilience as core abilities uh, for people practising in the field, actually, I wonder whether those kind of skills can be developed uh, using online education uh, because it, it seems to me that those are the sorts of skills that are built up through, the, through formal training in the education system. Um, do you think that that sort of perhaps those kind of core skills are the sort of skills that the, the high school and the university system need to focus on as, as the core sort of training that you can get through face-to-face training as opposed to online?
3: Well, I think it's a very good uh, question or set of questions, Stephen. The uh, one thing about Australia, uh, you know, being in the top 10 of cyber countries globally, uh, having a very good um, education system in spite of what I said, is that our critical thinking um, and personal resilience levels um, are pretty high. Uh, What's really the next step that's involved here is, as you suggest before, is a bit more flexibility by recruiters um, and employers about how they blend people who don't have deep cybersecurity technical background with um, uh, people who wanted work in the field and who have these good critical thinking um, and personal resilience skills. And the, uh, it's interesting to contemplate. So uh, everyone knows that I don't have a technical background in cybersecurity, uh, but I'm pretending to operate a, or purporting to operate in important areas of cybersecurity policy. Uh, But even people who work in global corporations um, uh, in management roles for cybersecurity, many of them don't have a background in technical aspects of cybersecurity. And the expansion of the cyber workforce is actually happening um, under the influence of a degree of flexibility by leading corporations to uh, set up cybersecurity teams which draw on a combination of technical skills uh, and uh, some of these other skills like critical thinking and personal resilience. Uh, Management skills in cybersecurity is pretty fundamental um, and leading corporations invest a lot of money in getting, um, getting in place the optimal sort of business structure they can for managing cyber risk. Uh, for investment in cybersecurity and for the development of their personnel. So one of the the interesting things about, I think, the future of cybersecurity, education uh, and workforce is that we just have to make this mental leap uh, that uh, we can achieve the outcomes we want in cybersecurity as a country um, if we just have a bit more flexibility in how we approach it. Uh, I've heard it said uh, that... Uh, Australian employers who can't fill their cybersecurity jobs uh, fail to fill them because they're putting in qualifications that are too high. Uh, They'd be better off advertising for people with lower-level qualifications, including not necessarily directly in cybersecurity, but um, changing the roles a little bit so that they can have a different combination of technically qualified people and... um, those with other sorts of qualifications. Uh, But if every cybersecurity job that's advertised requires a CISSM or a CISSP, um, then they're not going to be filled. Uh, So we do need your your solution, Stephen mentioned earlier, about employer flexibility and workforce structures. Uh, Supply and demand, I think, is really the future of Australian cybersecurity education. Uh, More imagination, more flexibility, and more investment.
1: Can I butt in for a moment there? Because on that, I had a conversation just recently and something that should be noted in these job applications perhaps could be, yes, the skills, the certificates, the training that you've had, but also there was mentioned that attributes should be a part of an application process as well. What do you think of that?
3: Yeah, I think that attributes um, like... Uh, critical thinking and personal res- resilience are very important um, in this uh, this field of employment. Uh, we really have to ask people who are more expert in the operational affairs of cybersecurity uh, than me to address how this might all come together. Mm-hmm. But we do have to find, a, in a sense, a more flexible way of uh, teaming up the geeks with the uh, people who are reasonably good managers, um, reasonably good intelligence analysts. Um, The people who work in the government as intelligence analysts are crucial parts of Australia's cyber defence. So you need the same threat intelligence people um, in uh, private corporations and in other institutions who um, help inform those people with the technical skills. And threat intelligence involves both technical skills um, and non-technical skills. So for example, Australian universities have been consistently attacked and suffered serious breaches by state actors. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the reasons for that is that their threat intelligence uh, probably didn't extend very far into the direction of state actors. They were more interested in you know, criminal breaches um, you know, and, and lower-intensity lower type sorts of um, intrusions. So, yeah. Um, the way in which employers advertise their jobs, the way in which employers shape their jobs, and more importantly, the way in which they shape their teams, is vital. Uh, And in a sense, one of the key findings of this book, um, although it's not original, is that HR departments in corporations and in government agencies have the most profound positive or negative impact on the character of the cyber cyber skills shortage uh, than almost any other institution in the country. And to HR departments, which shape those job advertisements, and which shape the the habits of the you know employing sections of the corporation or agency, uh, and elect, allow them to just advertise perpetually for CISSM and CISSP and never get them filled or rarely get them filled.
1: Yeah, it's a great insight. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, yeah. Greg. It, it was a very Insightful and uh, wide-ranging discussion, and we, we've you've given us a lot to think about.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, very insightful. Could listen to you all day. Actually, it's resonating with me quite a bit.
3: Thank you for the opportunity. Um, it, it, yeah, it's a really good topic. Um, it's one on which uh, it's good to see so many people mobilised, um, and I'm confident that the country as, as a whole will rise to the occasion. Uh, we just need a bit more time to. Um, allow the common understanding of responses and policy options to emerge more strongly.
2: Yes, yeah. and I hope this podcast will be a co- contribution in that effort. Thank yes, absolutely. Thanks Let's... for your time, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah.
1: Yes, no, thank you, Greg. And thank you, Stephen. That's awesome.
0: You've been listening to Cyber Career Chat, the podcast supporting innovation and opportunities in cybersecurity. You can listen to other episodes and access show notes and other resources mentioned on this podcast on our website at newsouthwalesin.com.au. That's nswcybersecurityinnovationnode.com.au. Cyber Career Chat is brought to you by the New South Wales Cybersecurity Innovation Node and proudly produced and supported by the Experts on Air podcast network.